Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. I'm a child of God. It's the only qualifier that we have. It's the only one we need. Amen? Amen. I saw uh, a clothing line the other day. I think they call it God line or something like that. And uh, the t-shirt that they, one of the t-shirts said, God loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) I thought that was fantastic. Almost hit click right there on the spot. God loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. And a lot of people, that offends them. They say, well, there's a lot you could do about that. You, You know, what if you walked away and turned to a life of sin? God still loves you. There's absolutely nothing you could do that would change that. And, and to understand that, think about your own children. As much as you might hate what they're doing sometimes, there's nothing that they could do that would make you stop loving them. Right? Same with God, only more so. Compounded over and over and over. God loves you and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen? Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Thank you so much, worship team. Praise the Lord. Wow, what an awesome morning. Praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Let me tell you, well, I got a little announcement I got wrote down here. Uh, Pastor Mark reminded me, corporate prayer is Tuesday night. Barry would have reminded me if he was here, but he'd have been, you know, yelling at me, doing sign language, everything else to to remind me. (laughs) Took the microphone and, you know, promoted it for 20 minutes. I mean, I would have I heard, but it's corporate prayer Tuesday night. And, and I think that if there was ever a September we needed to gather and pray, it's a September. So I want to encourage you to gather together with us. There's, there's just so much going on in our world, you know. And sometimes, you know, the only headline you hear, unfortunately, is COVID. But our world is, is in turmoil for more reasons than just COVID. I mean, pray for your brothers and sisters still locked in Afghanistan who have just seen their whole world changed as their country fell back underneath the rule of the Taliban. Did you know that in the last eight, eight months of this year, over a million people in Africa have died of AIDS? Did you know that every year, 750,000 people die from malaria? Did you know that every year a similar number dies from typhoid? Half a million children die from childhood diarrhea. And the only reason COVID is such an alarming thing is because, and I'm just going to level with you here this morning, is because it affects our idyllic lives in the West. We don't hear about much about these other things because, well, it's not affecting us. You know, we have robust health care. We don't have childhood malnutrition. We don't have to deal with typhoid and malaria. We don't have to deal with those things. So we don't hear much about that. But then along came this sinister thing called COVID, and all of a sudden it affects the West. And now that's all you hear. And what it's revealed is that here in the West, we still have a very, very, and I'm, please take no offense, but we have a very narrow, self-focused outlook of life that the rest of the world's turmoil doesn't touch us, so we don't think about it. But when along comes a a, a pandemic or a plague that affects us, we throw trillions of dollars at it to protect 
us while the rest of the world remains unprotected from things that we dealt with decades ago. I only say that this morning to say that every headline you read, every news story you read, should always be placed in the greater context of who we are in this world as instruments of God's peace to touch the lives of people all around the world. I believe that when we stand before God, that we in the West are going to have to answer for what we did to combat malaria in the developing world, what we did to combat typhoid, what we did to combat AIDS, what we did to combat these things, which they don't, may not come close to us, but they are devastating the rest of the world. And, and I'm so grateful. Everywhere I've traveled in the world, and, and I think the last count I had was 22 nations of the world that I've been to, every time I travel uh, in the world, I bump into people who are working to deal with these complex and difficult issues in the world, from starvation, malnutrition, uh, you know, diseases that are running rampant, and almost universally, every one of the non-government organizations, the NGOs, are Christian. Because we are driven by a message, a message of hope that God's love and God's grace and God's power is the power to transform nations. Amen? And our forefathers believed it, and we need to get a hold of it in this generation. And yes, the issues and the things that we're facing today are unprecedented, and We've not faced them before, but the things that we're facing today, other nations face on a regular basis. And it it should cause us to come out of ourselves and get onto our knees and to pray to God and to call out to the Lord and to engage the world like never before. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have invested in protecting and, and helping and bringing an end to COVID globally because it also is impacting the developing world worse than it's impacting us. But when you think about the billions that have been spent, we probably could have already dealt with wiped out typhoid and malaria and childhood malnutrition, many things by the amount of money we have spent to fix a problem that's touching the West. And I don't know if it's whether you're watching online or whether you're here this morning, I just feel you need to understand that we need to do everything we can to be safe and to love and to protect one another. But we can't forget that we are part of a much larger picture and that we bear a responsibility for uh, loving and taking care of those not just across the street but across the ocean. Amen? The Bible says to go out and to preach the gospel and to transform nations and to begin in Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, and then the othermost parts of the earth. That's like Belleville and then Ontario, and then Canada, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the call of responsibility that falls upon everyone in the family of God. Amen? And so this morning, I'm going to encourage you. You're saying, is that going somewhere? Yes, there's a little bit of a lead in here. Uh, A couple weeks ago, our dear brothers in Haiti uh, experienced a, a devastating earthquake Uh, a 7.2 or 7.3, I believe it was, on the west end of the island. Now, if you're not familiar with Haiti, you can look it up on the map here afterwards. But Haiti Haiti is the west half uh, of an island that it shares with the Dominican Republic on the east end. And the the earthquake, if you look at Haiti, it's kind of shaped like a backward C. 
and the earthquake is on the bottom end out toward a town called Lakai, where you'll notice that we have a gentleman named Bilad, who uh, is somebody that we have supported over the years. Uh, it, it devastated his church, orphanage, all the rest of it. Bennett in Port-au-Prince this time, the last earthquake was just south of Port-au-Prince was the epicenter, and it devastated things on that end. This time it's on the west end. Uh, Bennett right now is organizing and getting together loads of tin because it's been cleaned right out uh, in, in Lakai, and he's shipping it and uh, uh, transporting it, <laughs> in English, Kevin, from Port-au-Prince to uh, Lakai on the west end of the island to uh, help Bilad and other pastors that are in the same network. They're both in the same network of pastors to, to help them, to help the people in their churches uh, rebuild at least even temporary shelter from because as we're, you know, we're coming into what season? Hurricane season runs from June until the end of November uh, in the Caribbean. And the worst part of it is usually from September to the end of November. And so uh, they need our help. So anything that you could do, we will be sending that down uh, this week. Please, just if you could write a check, if you could give something. We have been blessed. Most of the world did not get a Serb check during COVID. Hello? They didn't have any support or any means to help them through this. They either continued to work and continued to run the risk of infection, or they saw their businesses dry up and they are in desperate need. And now you add an earthquake on top of it, the people of Haiti need your help. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to do what you could today, if it's $100, if it's $200, if it's $10. Whatever your economic situation is, just do it. Fill out one of the envelopes at the back, write on it, Haiti, if you're doing it online, you can do that as well through uh, Realm, uh, but just put in the memo section, put that it's for Haiti. If you do that, we'll know what it's for, and it will go there, and uh, we'll get that down as soon as we possibly can, all right? So please uh, give generously, do what you can uh, to help out. We would really appreciate that. And uh, also keep uh, Benita in your prayers. She just went back to uh, Cuba, and... Uh, I'll tell you what a trooper she has. I said she told me she's going down with the most stuff that she's ever shipped in one shipment to, to, to Cuba. So pray, A, that for safety for her, a lot of unrest in Cuba right now. Pray that the containers get through uh, customs and all the stuff that's been given will get to where she's wanting to distribute it. And pray for a move of God in that nation. Amen? Amen. Well, I could talk on and on about the global stuff, but let's talk about Desert Stream. Let's talk about today. Uh, we are starting September off. We're starting this month to talk about the value of family. Everybody say family. 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 You know, and today I titled this message, There's No Substitute for Family. There's no substitute for family. And family is important. Family's foundational. It's been said that family is literally the backbone of society, that society and democratic uh, function is built on the backbone of family. Family, I want to show you this morning as we go through this message, is also a revelation of the very nature of God. God exists as a family. And I'm going to show you that through Scripture this morning. And God's desire is that family would be a reflection of the nature of God in our homes as well. So let's start with that, that revelation this morning, that in the beginning, there was a family. 
You know, if you read in Genesis, you might be inclined to think the first family was Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And you'd read that and you go, man, that didn't go too well, right? First family in the Bible. And, uh, you know, there is a murder in the first family in the Bible as one brother rises up and kills his sibling. So if you think your family's bad, you can go right back to Genesis, and there's always been a little bit of sibling rivalry in family. And to make you feel better, you're like, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like killing my brother and my sister a couple times, but I never did. Well, you know, uh, as the old saying says, Cain killed Abel with the leg of a table, just to help you remember which one. It wasn't with the leg of a table, by the way. But, uh, you know, that's a little bit of intense family conflict, wouldn't you say? But that's not the first family. That's not the one that we're to model ourselves after. The first family is actually expressed in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. The very first verse in the Bible introduces us to the very foundational family of all creation. And it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all it says. And you're saying, well, how are you getting family out of that? Well, the first family is the family that is expressed in that one word, God. And if you were to go from the English translation of God and jump back into the Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in, you would discover that the word God there is the word Elohim. And the word Elohim is a plural version of the word El. That in Genesis chapter 1, the expression of the God who created the universe is a plurality that we read in Scripture. And as we read through the rest of Scripture, we'll find and we'll discover that, the, that God is expressed to us as one, but he is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, that the one that is God is the family of God. And that's expressed to us in Genesis chapter 1. And if you read through the Bible, 2,500 times when the Bible's speaking of God, it uses the word Elohim. It uses it more than any other word to describe God. And every time it does, it is an, a plurality of expression. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, the family of God. The very first words to declare God in the Hebrew language are the words of family. God is three in one. But you know, there's more in Genesis that speaks uh, to the understanding of God as being a, a, a unit, a complete unit of family. If you read on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, everybody say us, let us make man in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish and the seas, etc., etc. Let us make man in our likeness. Likeness. Now, some people, uh, you know, have said, well, that what he was saying there was he was including, he was using inclusive language to include, you know, the angels and all the heavenly hosts and saying that they, we were engaging in creation. But, you know, that, that translation or that understanding or interpretation falls short because the reality is that the Bible talks about us being made in the image of God in multiple other places, never made in the image of the angels, Right? In fact, the Bible says the angels are but ministering spirits sent to serve the children of God. Hello? Do you get me this morning? So once again, we have the Scripture all the way back in Genesis reinforcing the truth 
that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the divine family of God, is the one in whose image we are made. So when we talk about being in the image of God, and I got this revelation this week, when we talk about being made in the image of God, it's not simply an individual thing. It is a family thing. That God made us male and female. God said, go forth and multiply and fill the earth and and take charge of it. That when he created, he created us in his image, he created us to be family beings. You know, God's a creative God. Did you know that there are species on this earth that don't need two sexes in order to reproduce? Flatworms, for example. I realize their intelligence is a little lower than yours, but um, it's not required. I mean, God could have made humanity that way, but instead he made us to reflect his nature, therefore he made us family. Do you hear me this morning? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that revelation just something you can go, wow! God made us in his image, not just individual, but he made us family. He meant for us to be family. Now, please hear me this morning. I realize that life throws curveballs at us all the time, and there are a variety and configurations of families in the, in the family of God. But that doesn't change the fact that God's plan and his intention was for there to be a father and a mother and their kids and a, make up a family. And when something happens, whether it's you know, sin or infidelity or, or death or, or any other kind of thing that interrupts that pattern, it, means, it doesn't mean that that new family is any less a family, but it doesn't also change God's model. And God then uses his grace and his glory and his, his majesty to make that family just as strong and just as healthy as the one that was, is, still reflects his model. But they're all his family and they're all his children. Amen? Not a beautiful thing? Hallelujah. Let us make family, is what he was saying in Genesis 1.26. Now, the, the, the divine side of the family of God is reflected throughout the New Testament. Uh, you, you read in John chapter 10, verse uh, 30, where Jesus says, very simply, I and the Father are one. You know, Jesus is saying that he and the Father, this, this relationship that they have, and God uses and Jesus uses throughout the New Testament the relationship of family, father and son, that they walk together as one. He shows that in the nature of the family, how close-knit it is, how incredible that family is, and how much it is a reflection of the divine. And so Jesus was able to say, I and the Father are one, we're of one heart, we're of one mind, we're of one spirit together. Then Jesus said in John 14, verse 7, he said, if you really knew me, then you know my Father as well. In other words, Jesus lived his life as a representation of his Father, a family that one reflects the other. You know, let's be honest. When your kids do poorly in school, be honest here with me this morning, it isn't because you're worried about their admission into Queens or Princeton that you're upset. You're upset because it reflects on you. You know, when you sit down in that parent-teacher interview and you have to shift uncomfortably in your chair because they're telling you that Billy's got four C's and three D's, and you're like, but I know he's so much smarter than that. And you're, it's embarrassing because it's a reflection of us. Oh, no, that was never. No, no, pastor. I was worried about their university admissions. In grade three? No, you're not. 
It's because little Johnny is a representation of you, and you want that teacher to think well of you and your family. And that carries on right up through, you know. We look at kids when they're, you know, 17, 18, and they're, they're making decisions that you ever, just shake your head. You go, my word, what are they doing? And yeah, you, you might be at that point a little closer to being concerned about their admission into Princeton or, or Queens, but the reality is it still is disturbing because it's a reflection on you. You go, where did I blow it? Right? How did I mess this up? And maybe there is some places where you messed up. But more often than not, it's just, no, they're just being dumb. Because a lot of 17, 18-year-olds, they, they do a lot of dumb things. I know, because I was one. And when I was 17 and 18, I did a lot of dumb things. And it wasn't really a reflection of my parents' parenting. It was just me doing dumb things. Hello? But you see, the relationship that Jesus had with his father was that Jesus always wanted to honor the Father. Jesus said, I'm not here to honor myself. I'm, I'm here to honor him. And there was a, a relationship that they had together where the Father honored the Son and the Son honored the Father. The Father was able to look down and say, this is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? That I love and I'm well pleased. And Jesus was able to say, I don't do this of my own accord. I do this to honor my Father. You see how it worked back and forth. And so if I could speak to every mom and dad out here today, honor your children. Do everything you can to bless them and honor them. And kids, if you're here today, if you're, you know, in that teenage years today, honor your mom and your dad. You don't have to agree with every decision they make. But they changed your diapers. They fed you. You're here today. You can speak English because they sent you to school and taught you to, 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 to read and write. You know what I'm saying? They put up with all of your nonsense. Honor your parents. And when we practice that love and honor back and forth, we reflect the family of God. Someone say amen. You hear me? All right. <laughs> we can't forget Holy Spirit in here as well. You know, a lot of times we talk about Holy Spirit as though Holy Spirit is um, a force. We even throw, tend to throw the article. It's not improper. We tend to throw the article, the Holy Spirit, in front of it all the time. We don't say the Jesus. We say Jesus. Now, we do say the Christ when we turn it as a, use it as a title, but we tend to say Jesus, not the Jesus, right? And you, it's just as appropriate to say Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. Does everybody follow me? You can talk of Holy Spirit using personal pronouns. You can talk of Holy Spirit using those personal pronouns and language because Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Godhead. And, and Holy Spirit is not a force. It isn't like, you know, Star, Star Wars or anything like that. You know, you don't have to, you know, although some people treat the anointing like that. The anointing is not a force. The anointing is a person, the anointed one, Jesus. And Holy Spirit works and reflects and manifests the person of Jesus in our lives He's the anointed one. The word Messiah means anointed one, right? Are you hearing me this morning? And so Holy Spirit is doing everything that he can to reflect and to glorify the nature of the anointed one, Jesus. 
And so when Holy Spirit is working through us and they say we're anointed, that means that the Christ, the anointed one, is resting on us, speaking through us by power of Holy Spirit. Amen? Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a counselor. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit empowers, commissions, speaks, sanctifies, can be lied to, grieved. I mean, you can't do that with impersonal force. Those things can only be applied to a person, to a being. Amen? And Holy Spirit is part of the family, the divine family of God. So that's the divine side of the family. Now I want to I flip this thing a little bit and show you the, the human side of the family of God or the God family. And that's the family on earth. God believes in family so much that when he sent his son to the earth, he deposited his son into a family. That's something interesting. Couldn't he have just opened the heavens and Jesus came down at 33 years of age, uh, blew open the clouds, parted them, and all of a sudden there he was in a mountain and saying, I'm here! But no, he, he sent him and deposited him through the miracle of the incarnation into the womb of a young teenage girl named Mary who was betrothed to her husband, Joseph. And God believed in family as the expression and the environment of of divine intent, so much so that he placed his precious son as a child in the womb of Mary. And Jesus, therefore, was born into a family. He was born into the family of Mary and Joseph. The family of Mary and Joseph. And did you know, this might startle some of you, but Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. Did you know that? Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 55, says Jesus was the son of God, the son of Mary and Joseph, And it says he was a brother to James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, as well as his sisters. doesn't say how many sisters or give their names, but but it says sisters, plural, so we know there's at least two of them, right? So he had four earthly brothers, and he had at least two sisters. This is Jesus. How many know he was in a family? And he was the big brother. He was the big brother. Jesus grew up in a family, probably not much different than any of your families. That Jesus, however, Jesus was probably one that broke up all the fights. Since he's the Prince of Peace, right? Hello? Jesus was the one who at dinner time, if there wasn't enough, he, you know, he, he, he made the food stretch, you know, so that everybody was able to eat. You know, Jesus was the one who was willing to, you know, if there was someone who was going to have to take it on the chin, you know, Jesus was willing to lay down his life for his brothers and sisters just by the nature of who he was. You know, and Jesus, we know, was sinless perfection. But guess what? His family was not. Mary was not perfect, no matter what the Catholic Church will try to tell you. She was the handmaiden of God. Are you hearing me this morning? Joseph at some point disappeared off the scene. When Jesus died on the cross, Joseph was no longer there. We don't know 
at what age he, he died or dis- and, 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 and the family was left without him. But I can imagine that at whatever point that was, Jesus stepped up and he was the, the one who gave grace and leadership and strength in that home. But there were sibling rivalries. There were all kinds of stuff I'm sure that went on. How do I know? Well, how are you projecting that into it? I know because the only person who was divine in the family was Jesus. The rest of them were just like you and me, sinners in need of grace. Hello? So, so Jesus was very aware of human temptation, not just because he experienced it himself, the Bible says, and was yet without sin, but because he saw it in his siblings every single day. He was raised in a family, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus was raised in a family. Now, Jesus was raised in a family, and Jesus was tempted with all of the the strugglings of family and all the rest of it, but the Bible says he was yet without sin. And I've had people say, how is it possible for somebody to be tempted and yet be divine and without sin? And I loved C.S. Lewis's answer to that better than anybody else's. He said, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. We never find out the strength of the impulse inside us until we fight it. So Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So the the impulses, the things of flesh were there, but and they and they were probably there in him in in many ways, uh, manifesting him the strongest because he fought it to the end and didn't give in. How many know the struggle ends when you give in? Jesus never gave in. Hence why when Jesus was in the garden interceding on your behalf, the Bible says that the battle was so intense that he sweat like drops of blood. How many have ever been in an intercession that intense? Because Jesus was not just interceding on behalf of us, but he was also taking his own flesh and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He was wrestling that to the ground as well so that he could go to the cross on our behalf. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted. I'm sure he was tempted to yell at his brothers and sisters and to tell them to sit down and shut up and use who knows what kind of language to do so, but he didn't do it because he was without sin. The temptation may have raged inside, but Jesus did not yield because of who he was. It isn't because he didn't experience the temptation, but it's because he rose up and he defeated the temptation. Amen? So what's this message point this morning? What is my, what's my point? We discover that the kingdom of God, starting with the very first family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the kingdom of God is built on family. It can't be built otherwise. It's built on family. The beautiful thing is that no matter where our family situation's at, God says we start today and we build today. God is famous for, you know, taking, you know, he even uses the illustration of Scripture of, potter's wheel. He took the the clay that was marred and considered unusable and he placed it back on the wheel. And and no matter how marred or how distorted or how, uh, you know, destructive uh, your family situation was, he takes that life and he puts it back on the wheel. And the Bible says he fashions something useful out of it. That's our God of grace. That's our God of grace. So that, you know, that my past is not my future. Amen? Hallelujah. God 
is a family. Family is God's idea. Father placed his own son in a family, the family of Mary and Joseph. Family, no family is perfect. Even Jesus' family wasn't perfect. Only Jesus was. And like I said, many of us come from less than stellar families. Our parents weren't perfect. They made mistakes. But we're still family. You know, as much as I some days just wanted to strangle my brothers and sisters, my brother and my sisters, oh, if somebody else picked on them, look out. Because they're still family. You don't pick on my brother. Right? I was going to jump in there and defend him. Because he's family. I could pick on him, but don't you pick on him. Right? Because he's family. Because in deep down inside, no matter how dysfunctional our family's been, we understand there's something powerful about family. We all crave to be connected to family. And even if our families weren't perfect, we get a chance in Christ to recreate, recreate something new and something better in him. Amen? You know, I came across an old Chinese proverb. You know what it said? It said this, if you want to know your past, look into your present, your present conditions. If you want to know your future, look into your present actions. That tells me that my past is reflected in the things that I may have inherited from my family and from my situation, but my future is determined by the things that I invest in my children and in the next generation. And from where I look, the future looks pretty bright. No one can create a better family. Uh, I should say, we can create a better family than the one we came from, every one of us. But no one can do it without God. It's hard. If, if, we, if we let God into the picture, then things don't just get changed on the surface. They get changed below the surface. They get changed at the level of our spiritual DNA by God. If we'll let God in, then the Bible says, train a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't even depart from it. They they will be anchored by what we invested in them. We can create a better family than the one we came from, no matter how bad or how good it was. And, you know, most of us come from pretty decent homes. Some come from difficult ones. But guess what? No matter how good it was, it can be better. And we do that by God. We need his love and we need his grace and we need his mercy in order to be able to do it. Brennan Manning said, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. And so you can love and build a better family today right where you are. And you don't have to sit there and think, well, I can... I'm only going to be considered excess if I reach this plateau. No, the reality is nobody is there. And God loves us because he knows that nobody is there. And we won't be there until we get to heaven. But God says, my love and my grace is sufficient for you so that even though you're not perfect, you can engage in the journey of being perfected. And so can your family. Amen? So as we, over the next few weeks, talk about family and we talk about what makes good family, and we talk about how to create good family, and we talk about the family of God, and all that stuff, recognize this, that family, the very idea of family, is reflected in the nature of God. That God 
loves the idea of family so much that he created us uh, to be able to grow only through family and put his own son in the context of family. And that you and I have an opportunity to build a better family than the one we were raised in, no matter how good or how bad it was. Ours can be even better. That means that I like to think that we did a pretty good job as parents, but I think our kids can do even better than us. Because I believe in a God who is always advancing his purposes and his people on earth. Amen? We can all celebrate where we are and look forward to an even better tomorrow. Amen? No matter where we are at. Recognize that today. And begin to ask God to give you revelation of what I can do to make my family an even better reflection of the nature of God in the weeks to come. Amen? And no matter what it looks at, doesn't matter what your background is, what you come from, uh, whether it's a first stab at it, second stab at it, third stab at it, it don't matter. What matters is today and where we build from today. Amen? And the investments we make today determine our future. Amen? Stand together with me this morning. Mm-mm. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you today that you chose to uh, express yourself as family, and you chose to deposit your son as a baby into a family, that you chose, Father, for that family to have other siblings, brothers and sisters, so that uh, Jesus was able to identify with every situation scenario we encounter because he was raised in a family. And that, Father, we today have the promise from him that, Lord, if we will submit ourselves to you, that, Lord, every one of us can experience transformational power in our lives and in our families. Father, we thank you for that. And we pray today, God, that you would help us to be uh, better sons and daughters, help us to be better moms and dads, help us to be, Father, better uh, brothers and sisters, not just in our our spiritual family, but in our actual families, and that, God, you would guide us in that process, and that, Lord, you would give us the tools we need to, Lord, uh, love and to function as you function in the divine family. We want what we do in here on earth to reflect what God is doing in heaven, as the Lord's Prayer taught us, on earth as it is in heaven. And, Father, we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We look forward to seeing you guys next Sunday. We are going to have ourselves a time here in church. We invite you to come out. Do not miss it. Uh, Invite somebody. Remind them to register online. And parents, uh, don't wait to come to the last minute. Come early so we can uh, give us, that'll help us with registration and directing traffic and all that kind of stuff. The Lord bless you. Have an amazing week. Thank you for joining us today.